the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvesan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Free Tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? It's 291 6901. There you go. That'll get you right straight to us, and we'll answer any questions you may have. That's right. And you put a 225 in front of that. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. That's exactly right. And we sure wish you would. We always love hearing from our friends here in Baton Rouge, but uh, if you in Bangor, Maine, or wherever wherever there you go <laughs> baxter north carolina <laughs> give us a call try to help you out and point you in the right direction and we had a gentleman who had emailed earlier this week and made a request he said that listen to the show pretty much every week and he in fact his name is uh jorgen uh, gilbertson uh, from washington vancouver washington he said could you explain how the lubrication system on an engine works on today's modern engines yeah okay and it course varies from engine to engine sure. but he has a 2004 chevy pickup with a six liter so we would specifically talk about that one but we'll also branch that off into other lubrication systems sure. and how they work and so on and so forth what so they do that's exactly right and while that is our main topic today that doesn't mean you have to have a question on that any question you might have we'll be glad to help you out your brakes are squeaking belts are chirping or whatever you got just give us a call 291-6901 and right now would be the perfect time to call well, that's right. It's always best to call early on in the show because if you wait till later, a lot of times we will get stacked up and the time runs out. We just don't have time to take all our calls. So, right. Yeah, if you have a call now, is the perfect time. Should we happen to miss you today or you miss us today or there you go. think of something after out. we go off the air, you can always get your question answered on our website, which is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There is a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the little form, and send it on in. That's exactly right. And speaking about lubrication systems, I guess most production automobiles, the first component of the lubrication system that might not really be thought of as a component of the system, and that's the oil pan. Correct. It's the sump that holds the oil. Now, they are technically what they call dry sump engines. Correct. Which is an engine that doesn't have an oil pan. It's got a pressurized system. They use those on aircraft and some racing cars. But your, even some of your modern cars, like your uh, Corvette, mm-hmm. I believe, has a dry sump system. may on. have that. But what we're talking about are the vast majority of production automobiles, which have a sump-type system. Correct. And like anything you're going to talk about, there's not somebody who can't come up with an example where it's not going to apply <laughs> with the plethora of different designs and in, in use today but vast majority use an oil sump system now that sump does more than just hold all what it does it number one allows a reservoir of oil to be used by the engine number two it helps to separate the larger debris from the cleaner oil and by putting oil into a sump the heavier metals and stuff tend to sink to the bottom of that sump now, where the oil pump picks up, there's a pickup tube with a screen on it. Right. And that's going to be about anywhere from a quarter to three-quarters of an inch above the bottom of that sump. Right. It does not sit on the bottom of the pan. That's right, or draw off it's, the bottom of the pan. It's suspended slightly above that. So what that does, it allows things that are heavier than the oil to sink to the bottom. So that's your first line of defense. Now, the only way to get that debris out of the pan, and that's where the drain and fill. That's right. That's, that's where the, the oil change comes in. Of course, we've talked about oil changes in the past, and we'll talk about them in the future, but that's really not our topic today. But the second line of defense, most of the drain plugs will have a magnet incorporated into them. Right. And when you take the plug out, there's a little magnet stuck on the end of it mm-hmm. that collects any of the metallic 
pieces that kind of are floating around in the oil because it is in the oil reservoir itself. That's right. Now, moving up from the oil sump, we have the oil pickup, which is like a pipe, basically. You've got got the screen on the end of that, Mm -hmm. which all that screen is going to do is separate the bigger pieces. That's correct. And out of the oil, it's not going to take the small stuff out, but the bigger pieces that would happen to maybe be in there, that screen is going to block them. Well, it protects the oil pump. Correct. Because if we ingest a particle of metal into the system and it goes through that vein pump, that's a positive displacement pump. There are two gears rolling together for the most part, two rotors. Right. And a piece of metal is not going to compress. So when it goes through there, it's going to do a great deal of damage to that pump may even shear the pump off, shear the input Depending shaft off it, if it locks it up. So that's where the screen comes in. It also separates certain liquid contaminants. For instance, if you get enough water to form a sludge, it tends to separate that. However, that's sort of a double-sided sword because if you get enough sludge on that pickup screen, it's going to block the screen. Right Now it can't flow. So most of them have a hole in the center of it that is pushed down against a flat metal plate on the bottom. If the screen gets restricted enough, it'll draw up, open a hole, and it'll start to bypass the screen because it's better to have dirty oil than to have no oil at all. Correct. And a lot of things are that way on an engine. There's some type of a bypass system. So once we get past the screen, we work up and we go to the oil pump. Now, what the oil pump does, two things basically. One is that it draws oil into the system, and number two, it pressurizes the oil for use in the system. Correct. It has to push it all the way through that engine, several little passageways and stuff, so it has to be under pressure. Now, the amount of pressure needed, as an absolute minimum, they say about 10 pounds per 1,000 engine RPM is sort of a guideline. Most engines today run between 30 and 60 and 60 60 PSI at an idle and slightly more when they're running. Most of them will go up slightly when they run. But there's a part inside the pump called a pressure regulator. That's the first place the oil goes when it leaves the pump. And what the regulator does is keeps the pressure from rising too high. Mm -hmm. For instance, if that oil pressure gets up to 100 PSI, it could rupture the filter. Or it could pump all the oil up to the top of the motor and burn the engine up. So there's a spring-loaded regulator built into the pump on most engines. There's a handful where the regulator is separate from the pump. It's in a timing cover somewhere. But for the most part, there is going to be a regulator somewhere, and it's going to regulate the pressure at a given range. That range may be from 20 to, say, 60. When it gets to 60, it's going to start to open up. Dumping, it opens up and it starts it to dump all back to the pan so it Correct. doesn't, doesn't overpressurize. Overpressure. The That's right. Because, like anything, while some is good, too much not always is better. not better. <laughs> yeah, more is not always better. I remember back in the days we built racing engines, and a lot of people were tempted to take that little spring out and stretch it out to give it more oil pressure, uh-huh. thinking they were doing good. But they could pump all the oil out of the oil pan under certain circumstances or cause other issues with the engine. Right, because that pump is going to pump a certain amount of fluid, a certain amount of oil at a certain, at pressure. A certain pressure at a certain RPM. Right. And if you don't have that bypass in there, it could possibly pull all the oil out of the pan that's right and pump it all into the top of the motor before it has a before chance it can run to get that back. fast enough or like we alluded to earlier it could blow the oil, oil filter, filter blow the seals out it can do all kinds of things so you don't want too much oil pressure you want the right amount of oil pressure right now once we've gotten past the oil uh, bypass valve there is generally going to be a second type valve which is an oil filter bypass correct and what the oil filter bypass does is that 
if the filter becomes restricted. For instance, if you do not change your oil filter, or let's say you get a liquid contaminant like coolant into your oil, that can clog the oil filter. When the pressure differential between the inlet and outlet of the filter gets too great, this valve will open and it'll start to bypass the filter. Right, which allows oil pressure to get into the engine. That's right. Like you say a little bit earlier. Unfiltered oil, which is not good at all. But it's better than no oil at all. It is better oil. than no oil at all. Oil to an engine is sort of like blood in your body. Right. You've got to have it. And in just a matter of seconds, when the oil quits flowing, that engine is going to be destroyed. Oh, yeah. It's going to just come apart because you've got a tremendous amount of metal parts rubbing one against another. And most of the bearings in an engine are not roller bearings. They're just flat slide type Tap bearings. It be aluminum, right. uh, aluminum bearing on a crankshaft or a rod bearing or a flat tappet in a flat tappet type engine or gears uh, on a timing gear that rubs against the engine block. All these different surfaces have to be lubricated constantly. Right. And to, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever seen it before, but I've seen an engine that, was filled with oil and didn't have an oil filter put back on it. Uh huh. Three seconds, all the oil was on the ground. Oh yeah. It don't take, but it pumps a, a whole lot seconds. of oil. Well, especially if the oil filter is loose, ruptures, or is not installed, because now we're not going to build pressure, so the bypasses are not going to come into effect. So you're going to blow full pressure oil right out of the that little right pump, out of the engine. That little pump can put out some volume. Yes, it can. Particularly if there's no pressure, because if you've got a wide open line, it's not going to build pressure. Right. It's just going to keep gonna pumping. The, keep pumping until it runs out of oil. Right. So that's a real, real, <laughs> yeah, literally and figuratively nasty situation. Yes, it is. <laughs> I've seen the somebody will change the oil and mistakenly the oil filter seal will stay on the block. Uh huh. And it will come off. And when you put the new filter on, double gasket it, and the oil pressure will build and blow one of the, the right. gaskets out that's because right. there's there's nothing holding it against the block except and just pressure. It will make an oily mess in a matter of seconds. Seconds. And if you continue to drive the car, you well, have an even bigger mess because you yeah. can have a blown engine. So You are done. Yeah, one of those things you just cannot compromise on. No. Let's go to our phone lines with David. Good morning, David. Morning, guys. How are y'all? Doing great, sir. Doing great. Hey, I have a problem with my 2006 Ford Expedition. Okay. I've taken it to a transmission place, and he says there's nothing wrong with the transmission. Right. That it's probably... A problem with a misfire Correct. that Ford has a problem throwing them off. Well, that uh, happens quite so, a bit, and it's also mistaken as a transmission problem quite a bit. Yeah, it's in between 40 and 60 miles mm-hmm. an hour. It'll just stutter right. real bad, and right. if I either give it a lot of gas or take off the gas, it fixes the problem. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know, like I said, well, best way to bring it in get that caught. You know, yeah, well, it. what you have yeah. to do first off, David, is go in with – preferably a Ford-compatible scan tool, and go to what they call Mode 6. And what Mode 6 will do is it will show you the misfires on each cylinder. Now, what that does, that's going to tell you one of two pieces of information. That's going everything else will be based on. Either you have a single-cylinder misfire, which is treated one way, or you have a multiple-cylinder misfire, which is treated totally different. So you have to know that right off the bat. And without that type of instrumentation and experience, you're not going to be able to find that out. That one piece of information can save you hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars. For instance, if you've got a multiple cylinder misfire, then you're looking at things like a mass airflow sensor, a, a crankshaft sensor, a big vacuum leak, a fuel pump, low fuel pressure, Any, those types of things that anything, affect all cylinders correct. equally. Now, if you've got a single cylinder misfire, you know, the misfire is unique to a single cylinder, then we're looking for things on one cylinder, like an ignition call, a bad spark plug, a stuck fuel injector even a bad valve or all these types of things. So 
absolutely critical that you have that piece of information first. That That's going to set the path of where you're going. Now, let's say you've got a single cylinder misfire and it's on cylinder number four. Well, the easiest thing to do is take the call off cylinder four, move it to number three, move number three to number four, and check it again. Did the misfire move? Yes, no. Well, if it moved, then apparently we've got a bad ignition call. At least at least that's one thing that's bad. If it does not move, well, we can forget about the call. That's not the problem. Then we can take the spark plugs, move those also, and take the injector and move those. That's just a way that an individual can do it without any tooling or anything once he knows if he's got an individual cylinder misfire or a random, or a multiple. overall multiple misfire. So you're going to have to start out with somebody who knows what they're doing. Now, if, if they tell you you've got a misfire on cylinder four and you want to take it from there, you probably could. And without spending too much money, you could isolate that yourself if you like doing that. Now, if you just want to bring it to a shop, obviously they can do the whole job for you real easily. Yeah. Okay. So that's what I need to ask, like I said, to check with. Uh, yeah, just, just uh, bring it in. Just say, look, about 45 miles an hour when I tip into it, I feel a shudder and just let them go from there. I don't, I'm not real big on going and trying to tell people what to do. I just tell them the symptom I got. Yeah. And if need be, you can even have the guy ride with you and say, okay, you feel that? That's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to fix right there. Then he's, he's going to come back. Yeah. Like he'll go away for two weeks and then come back. Yeah, and, and they are a lot of times. I tell you, the, if it's a single cylinder misfire, the most likely call is going to be a bad ignition call. Those they, vehicles they, were. Yeah, they were real bad about they taking were the calls out. They were notorious for calls failing, generally up around 100,000 miles or more. The calls will start going out on them. That. But you got to know if it's a single cylinder or a multiple cylinder before you can make that assumption. And yeah, it, even if it's a multiple, it still could be. Well, it could be more than one more call. More than one call. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So and they do tend to be uh, intermittent for some reason. Right. Fantastic. Well, All right. I'll bring you by the shop. Okay, David. All thanks, right, man. Sir. Bye-bye. All right. We're going to take a quick little break. But, hey, you hold on because we're going to be straight up right after this break. Plan to motor west. Travel my way, take the highway, that's the best. I get your kicks on Route 66. I'm here with David, engineer, do-it-yourself mechanic, and actual Agco automotive customer. You got it. So, David, you own, like, 50-something cars? <laughs> Not that many. I have five. Some are for everyday driving, and then there's my 94 Olds Cutlass Supreme Convertible and 95 Thunderbird Super Coupe. Those are more for fun. And you do a lot of the work on them yourself. I do, but when it's out of my leg and I want it done right, I take my cars over to Agco. Wouldn't trust my cars with anyone else. So, listeners, if you're less like David and more like me, not automotively inclined, take your car to Agco once a year for a general inspection. It's the best way to catch any potential problems that could lead to bigger repairs down the road. So, David, I'd love to check out your 94 Cutlass. Really? Yeah. I figured we'd cruise around, listen to some of my Michael Bolton and Kenny G CDs. I'm more of an Aerosmith fan myself. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I see. Yeah. So, schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco. It's the place to go. Welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvesan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, two tools will try to answer any automotive questions you might have. We were talking about lubrication systems and how they work, how oil pumps and bearings and all get lubricated. But, of course, we'll take a call on any topic you might have. Just go and give us a call. That we will. There you go. You know, we were speaking just a little bit. Of course, we've gotten past the oil pump. Now the oil's pressurized and we're it goes the, into the engine. We're at the filter. Yeah, that's exactly right. Thanks for reminding me about that. But, yeah, it has to go through a filter mechanism because if you don't remove the debris from the oil 
and I, engines produce debris. Sure. It's just what they do. They have carbon that gets into them from the combustion process. They have metals that wear off. They have sludge that builds up when they are cold. That, fortunately, when it gets hot, it tends to boil some of that out. One of the biggest things, and one of the reasons I have always disagreed with these mileage-based all-change intervals is they really make no sense whatsoever. Exactly. There is no mileage that's going to be proper for your vehicle. It's going to depend on the way you drive the car. Sure. Because what happens is that if you drive three, four miles, shut your car off, it sits there for two or three hours, and you drive three or four more miles, you shut it off, it sits there for two or three hours. You drive it maybe three four times a week. Right. That you, engine never gets up to temperature. No, it's extreme conditions. That oil, every time it starts, all the moisture in that crankcase, that engine is cold. In other words, when I say cold, you say, okay, it's 95 degrees outside. Well, to it's an still, engine that runs 275 degrees in the oil, cold. that's cold. Right. So when that cold metal starts getting that hot oil, the moisture is going to condense. The oil is going to suck it up and contain it because that's, that's what, what oil does. does. And it's going to just sit there, and it's going to turn into sludge and acid and attack the engine and destroy the engine. Now, that's going to go right through the oil filter. Right, it's because a liquid filter, contaminant. filter cannot take a liquid contaminant out. The primary source of getting rid of that is when the engine gets to full operating temperature. When the oil gets past 212 degrees, the moisture will start to boil. It's going to turn into steam, and it's going to rise up in the engine. Now, the PC system, the positive crankcase ventilation system, is going to draw this out, burn that inside the engine. Correct. Works really well, except that it takes a lot of time. It's going to take probably at least 20 miles of driving to get the oil to full temperature. Then it's going to probably take an hour or so of driving at that temperature to clean any amount of oil at all, and maybe five or six hours to really thoroughly clean the the Mm -hmm. engine oil. So if you're not driving 100, 200 miles per trip, right? then those five, six, seven, eight, name a number, all changes are causing lots of damage. They are causing a tremendous amount of damage to you. That is what they consider as normal conditions. However, that is not normal conditions. That is ideal conditions. Normal conditions is what most people drive, and that is, is severe conditions. Well, they go to the grocery store, cut the car off. They go to the beauty parlor. They go to church. They go to... Most people live fairly close to where they work, and I know that's a broad assumption, but I know in my life I want to make it as easy as possible. So, you know, I live about five, six miles from where I work. I've just purposely bought a house that was close to sure. where I work because I don't want to fight traffic every day. So my engine is never going to get to full operating temperature. I have to try to get it out and run it every once in a while. Now, the only other way to get that out of the crankcase is, is a drain and fill. Correct. And if you're not doing those drains and fills, that timely oil basis. is going to turn into sludge. It's going to start getting contaminated. It's going to start attacking the metals in your engine. And you're going to end up with some huge, huge repairs down the road. So you're not ever going to save enough money on oil changes to pay for even one repair bill. Right. So you've got to base your oil changes on use and not on miles. That, Correct. that whole mile thing was yeah, never I don't, right. I don't like it. And when they used to say 3,000 miles, that pretty much covered everybody. But now they're saying eight, nine, ten thousand. And is there somebody that could probably go eight thousand miles safely? Maybe, yeah, maybe so. But that's not the norm. That's not how most people drive their car, and that is a huge disservice to the American public, sure in my is. opinion. Causes all kinds of problems. Let's go to our phone lines with Herb. Good morning, Herb. Good morning. Yes, sir. Morning. I got a couple of a truck and a tractor. Want to tell you about truck? You pull usually for pulling travel trailer, mm-hmm. but it's set in a in a shed most of the time mm-hmm. when it you know. And I'd go down there on, it'd been cold, go down on a warm, you know, warm up day, and it would be water dripping off the 
inside of the engine. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And every year it's, I'd It's pull, dripping on the inside, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And every year I'd pull the rear axles out of it, besides the, you know, the master wheel cylinders all rusted up, to mm-hmm. pull up rear axles out of it, and they'd be barnacles on that. So oh, I'd yeah. clean them and paint them, and next year the same thing. Well, that's right. And then my daddy's tractor was 1949, and I brought it down here in 85, and it, I took the top off the transmission and all. And there was no rust. It was clean and pretty. Mm-hmm. And from North Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And the next time I popped the top on that thing, it, from the grease line up, was bar- just rusty. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. you got so much more humidity here. So, yeah, just so any if you leave, you have one, it's going to get water in there. It whether gets you in there. Pour it in there or not. That's know? right. <laughs> okay, that's what I want to throw all my right. two cents in. Uh, well, thanks, man. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye-bye. And that is a fact. You're going to get moisture. Now, let's say you have a problem in the engine, like a leaking intake gasket or a leaking head gasket. That just makes it ten times worse. Sure, because now all that liquid contaminant's getting picked up with the oil. The oil can only absorb so much of that That's liquid right. contaminant. That's right. And so when you start to overload that, you start causing all kinds of major, major issues in the engine. We're going back to phone lines. John, good morning, John. Hi, it's from Brown calling. Hey, John, how are you this morning? Good. I haven't talked to you for a bit. Well, good. Yeah. It's getting a little warm up here. It was uh, 71 uh, yesterday. Wow, that's brutal, huh? <laughs> <laughs> your producer said you better get your shorts on and uh, get in over to the pool, you know? That's right. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I hear it's warmer down there. Yeah, it's not too bad. It was uh, 65 this morning Fahrenheit, so it'll go up to the 80s, though, during the day. Yeah. I wish I were there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, question is a quick one. Oil changes. You know, a lot of the companies, including Honda, that I have and have synthetic, mm-hmm. they say that you should change your filter every second change. Now, I always change well before the. I go by time right. more than the miles because I don't put that many miles on. I just wondered whether, because if it's like the transmission, you don't get to the filter, but it's still the filter's still perfectly fine, whether you really do need to change it. A lot of places say every time. Yeah, I would, change, them. I would change it every single time. I mean, yeah. a Honda filter, even if you're buying them from Honda, is about That's six bucks. Yeah. You know, yeah. to it's me, it, it would be foolish to even think about that. I've cut a number of filters open, and they're pretty nasty inside, even at 3,000 miles, much less at eight and nine, like some of these guys recommend. I see absolutely no reason for it. I see no practical benefit. I you guess know, they do it just like you said before, that in order to show that there's not much maintenance on the car. Well, that's exactly that. right. Yeah. They, they're trying to lower their maintenance costs for guys like Consumer Reports and other things like that who rate them and rank them. So the lower the maintenance costs, the better rankings they get. But, no, I think that's a disservice to the public. Okay, quick one. How's Foxy doing? Oh, she's fine. She's right here in the studio with us this morning. Oh, good. Give her a pet <laughs> for me. <laughs> we'll do it. All right. Thanks a lot. All right, John. Nice to talk with you. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. That's John all the way from Toronto, Canada. So if John can call from Toronto, you can darn sure call from Baton Rouge. That's it. <laughs> Let's try to catch one more call before the break. we got David on the line. Good morning, David. Good morning. Yes, sir. I've got a question to ask you. The price varies from 200 to $500. Got a 2007 Ford F-150 mm-hmm. 4.6-liter engine. Okay. Trying to get a tune-up mm-hmm. to place the plugs and wires. And- yeah. Well, see, David, number one, the word tune-up means absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. That's where you're going wrong right there. Forget the word tune-up. There's no such thing as a tune-up anymore. Okay. Now, what one guy's going to do is screw a set of spark plugs in it and give it back to you. What another guy's going to do is go in, clean the throttle body, do this, do that, do all number of things. So it just depends on what that word means to him. I hate that word. I never use but- it. What I would well, do instead is use the word changing the plugs. Yeah. They said it's a two-piece plug and 
it can break off an that. engine. Yeah, now if yeah. it breaks off an engine, that's going to go to two thousand dollars. Oh, no. because the oh, engine's yeah. got to come out of the truck. Absolutely, well, the, the, cab, <laughs> the cab has to come off so you can get the engine out. Right. So yeah, yeah. there's a lot of labor there to, yeah. to take that engine I mean, out. I got to say, out of probably a thousand of those trucks, we've pulled plugs on. Probably five hundred, we go able to get all the plugs out. On the other 500, probably 450 of those, I was able to extract the plugs after they broke, which is a is an option. additional charge. But on probably 50 of them, we had to end up pulling the engines out, taking heads off, and knock them out the back way. Wow. They're under a class action suit from Ford right now. You might check into that. Okay. The consumers sued Ford, and they are reimbursing people who have spent a bunch of money on those. How many miles you got, David? Oh, I've got 140 on this thing. And original uh, plugs in it? Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. I would be. I think 120 was the limit, wasn't it? I don't remember what it is. You might into it go, go on the internet and just yeah. type in Ford Broken Spark Plug Class Action Suit, and it'll bring it up for you. Right. There is okay. limits on what they will reimburse and all. Man, 140K, the odds of some, some of most of those breaking is pretty high. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Okay, Thank man. You very much. All right. All right. Thank you. Bye bye. All right, we got to take one more quick little break. But just before we do, I just wanted to put a little teaser out there. All right. Which is thinner, 0W20 motor oil or 5W20 motor oil? And we'll give you the answer when we return. That's right. I'm here with David. Actual Agco Automotive customer and owner of a 98 Suburban with 434,000 miles on it. And counting. That's amazing. How did you do that? Well, as an airline pilot, I know the importance of regular maintenance schedules. That and having a great team of mechanics, just like the guys at Agco. So Agco has helped keep your car running? All of my cars. Wow. So, folks, if you're looking to keep your late model vehicle on the road longer, take it to Agco once a year for a general inspection. That way, the Agco team can catch any potential problems early before they become expensive repairs down the road. Yeah, David, I've done a little piloting myself. Really? Well, it was one of those radio-controlled planes you fly off of Burbank, <laughs> but I could feel the power. <laughs> oh, I bet you could. That's really close to a 747. I know, right? So, folks, schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvin, with Mr. Brian Carey. We sure appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. And if you have a question or a comment, you give us a call, 291-6901. Get you right straight to us. And we still have plenty of time to get quality answer. Absolutely do. And we were talking a little bit about lubrication systems on an engine. And we were. We talked just a bit about the oil filter and the reason that most people need to change their oil more often than they probably do. Sure. Now, another reason, or I guess not a reason, but another big side effect that we see on people not changing their oil very often is that most of them don't check their oil either. Correct. Now, what a lot of people do not realize is almost all engines consume a certain amount of oil. They do. And, in fact, most of your manufacturers have a technical service bulletin right. out with an acceptable rate of oil consumption. consumption. And the more modern engines tend to consume more oil than the older engines did, for whatever reasons. Personally, I believe it's just sloppy manufacturing techniques. That's what I'm thinking also. They got all kinds of excuses for it. But it's not unusual at all to see an engine that will burn a quarter oil every 2,000 miles is what Um, they consider acceptable. GM's standard on that is a quarter every 2,000. Right, quarter and 2,000. 
So you think about it. If you're going 8,000 miles between oil changes. And not checking your oil. And not checking your oil. And, and you using got four a, quarts of oil in it. Using a quart between 2,000, which right. is perfectly normal. You're going to run out of oil. Right. And where I'm going with all that is that we see a inordinate amount of engines come in burned up. Sure. Now, I mean, we changed more engines today than we did 20 oh, years yeah. ago. Most definitely. Back got a Toyota we're putting an engine in right now that just ran out all. Yeah, just, it locked up tight. Just didn't. Yeah, he, he brought it in, thought the starter went out. Well, you know, the starter didn't go out. It's Motive, still trying to turn. The engine's yeah. locked up because it ran out of oil. Yeah. Pulled a stick, absolutely no oil on it. Pulled the drain plug, no oil in the pan. Right. Just used all the oil out. And I think from his oil change sticker, he's about 6,000 miles past due. So he's about 9. And I don't know where the sticker was set to. Right. If it was set for 3, you're at 9,000. You're 9. If it was set for, for 6, four. then you're at 12. Exactly. The point is, it eventually burned all the oil out of the engine and burned up. So... At very, very, very least, you do have to check your oil, and that is not covered under any kind of warranty that I'm aware of. It is your responsibility to check your oil level. If you run the car out of oil and burn it up. There's no warranty that's going to cover that. No, it's not going to cover it. Not an extended warranty or a um, factory warranty. Yeah, I mean, maybe there's a... Oh, 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 geez, I forgot warranty, but maybe. <laughs> that'd be a pretty expensive. Uh, yes, it would. Of course, it's got a $10,000 deductible. Right. <laughs> but anyway, we were talking about the oil leaving the filter going into the engine now on the older like the 5.7 and the small block engines it went directly to the main bearings on when, the crankshaft. It, when it left there and it went up the back side of the engine split off went down the camshaft uh, went up to the top end of the engine lubed the rock arms and all that sort of stuff but on the four the eight modern. five three and the six oh right that all goes to the cam bearings first okay it goes up the back of the block and it goes into the cam bearings mm-hmm. and from there it goes out to the lifters and then up into the heads mm-hmm. that is a redesign that gm has come up with and i guess it works for them because nowadays you don't have flat tap it valves well, lifters anymore you have a roller cam and with displacement on demand which is most of these engines have, it requires a tremendous amount of oil to work those variable lifters that can cut out and kill the cylinders and stuff. And there's a filter that goes in the port that comes up the back of the block before it gets the uh, oil pressure sending switch. Right. There's a filter there that right. filters oil even farther so it can go in there and do its job in those cam right and and what it does on that one the lifters themselves will just there's a valve the solenoid that opens on each cylinder which dumps the oil back to the pan drops the oil out of the lifter which causes it to collapse and then the cylinder doesn't fire any longer so and it can power back up pretty quickly but that's sort of a different setup every engine the way the oil flows through the engine is different for instance on the old small block the oil pump was in the oil pan Right on the rear main bearing. All right, it was driven right off of the distributor, distributor shaft, shaft, which was driven off of the crank, the camshaft. Right now, the new five threes and four eights and six O's have no distributor. No, no distributor. So it's driven off the crankshaft. It's up in the front under the timing cover, not in the oil pan at all. I've seen people pull the pan thinking they can change the oil pump for some reason. Uh huh. Yeah, and guess what? It's not it's there. Not there. <laughs> <laughs> and it is a big, big, big deal to change that pump. It so is. Fortunately, they hardly ever go out. Let's go back to our phone lines with Steve. Good morning, Steve. Hello. Yes, sir. I got a, my wife's got a HHR 06 model. Okay. And I got an appointment with you Monday morning to get, I hadn't, the only thing I've done to it, it's a 06 and uh, it's changed the oil and we had to have the battery changed. Yes, sir. And I need you to change the, the coolant. Yeah, definitely way past due. I would, so I'd probably do a, a general inspection on it. just. To, yeah, that's what I wanted you mm-hmm. to do. And I was wondering what else might be, uh, need to well, be Well, they'll changed. go through it and give you a complete printout. How many miles are on it, Steve? 
It doesn't have the 16 on it. Low, low wow. miles, so it doesn't get used a whole lot. No. I mean, at 10 years, I would probably look at changing the serpentine belt on it because that rubber is going to be broken down just from age, even though it doesn't have very many miles. Uh-huh. I would be looking at transmission fluid on it, even though it doesn't have very many miles. You know, it's got a lot of moisture buildup and stuff in it. The, yeah. age of the, uh, the age of the tires. The age of the tires, if they haven't been looked at, because six years is the outside life on a tire, and you can end up with problems from that. So, yeah. Gen- we'll just go completely over the vehicle. They're going to pull all the wheels. They're going to check the brakes, the hoses, everything on the vehicle, and give you a complete list of what your vehicle needs. Because uh-huh. there are certain things in general, like we talked about, but there are things that are going to be specific to this vehicle, too, because of the yeah. conditions it's operated under. And how long does that take about? Well, the inspection takes about an hour, but then with changing the things that need to be changed, you'd probably be in the shop for a day. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, we're going to drop it off Sunday evening. Then. Sounds Tomorrow great. Sounds evening. great. Okay, Steve. So it'll be there Monday morning. Sounds great, man. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. You know, we was talking about changing oil earlier and mm-hmm. everything. I've seen a lot of people take the oil filter before they put it on a vehicle mm-hmm. and fill it up right out of the bottle right, and then screw it onto the block. Correct. And, and what that does, it well, their logic is they don't want to wait for the filter to fill up. up. And they think that, well, my engine's going to run dry for a few seconds, so they're doing good. But in reality, they're not doing good. No, because you're taking that oil, which is in a container, which is unfiltered. Right. And you're pouring it straight into that oil filter, screwing it on the block. Right. That oil gets pumped directly into the engine. Right. That's on the output side of, of the, the filter. filter. And I have argued that point with people and had an engineer come in and say, no, that is correct. You should mm-hmm. not ever put the oil. Oil in the bottles that comes out of refinery is clean, but it's not filtered. Right. It can have any number of particles in it. And not only that, but you can very easily dislodge a particle, knock one in there. I mean, all sorts of things can happen. You don't ever put anything on the output side of the filter. You want all the oil in the engine going through that oil filter. Correct. The amount of time it's going to take for that filter to fill up is Is totally insignificant. I mean, within one or two seconds, that filter will be full. And... Most engines today use a real small filter anyway, so sure. they're probably even faster than that. I mean, if you're really concerned about it, I guess you could always disable the injectors and crank the engine over a few times and let it Until prime it. up, but even that's totally unnecessary. Yeah, that is an old one of those old wives' tales that right. people think they're doing good, but they're not. not causing, causing, causing problems. Creating a problem. And there are people who will argue that point with you until they blew oh, in the I'm face. Sure. And like I tell them, I'm not interested in convincing anybody who's got their mind made up. Right. Hey, if you yeah, want to do it that way, God exactly. bless you. Go ahead, man. You know, I'm just telling you what the engineers that design the engine say. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and they know more than the oil change guy. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> now, another thing, too, that a lot of people neglect to do, I've found, is that when you are changing oil and you got the filter there, you need to take some clean oil and put a little film of oil on that rubber seal. Correct. Because when you start to tighten the seal, it's going to contact the engine block first. But then you have to turn it past that. If that seal is dry, you are going to tend to twist and maybe even rip that rubber. Whereas if you've got lubricant on it, it will easily slide into position and then seal. And and not only that, if you put a seal up dry like that, the next time you change that filter, it there's a good chance off. it may stick to the block. And you miss it when you put the new filter back on, and then you've double gasketed it. Right. And which the oil pressure is going to blow that double gasket apart. Creates another major sure. potential issue there. So, yeah, those are just a few of the things that you get into with that sort of thing. Now, 
we were talking a little bit about lubrication systems and so on as that. Most of the engines today that we see have roller lifters in them. Correct. And they have roller rockers, roller rocker if arm. they use a rocker arm. Uh, a lot of the overhead cam engines, they still, they, they don't they call, call it a rocker arm, but it's sort of kind of the same thing where the cam pushes on something which pushes on the valve. There's a handful where the cam drives the valve directly, mm-hmm. but it just depends on the design of that particular engine. Right. Now, we were talking just before the break, a little teaser, and that was which is thinner, 0W20 or 5W20. Right. And a lot of people will say, well, 020 is thinner. No, it's not. They are both 20 weight all at operating temperature. Correct. The way those numbers work, the first number is the viscosity or the effective viscosity of the all at zero degrees. And at zero, this would act like a zero, zero weight, weight all. all. Whereas the other would act like a five-weight all. In other words, it will be as thick as a five-weight all would be at that temperature. It's mm-hmm. not that it is zero or five-weight. That's just how it's going to respond. At a, temp- at a certain temperature. Correct. At 100 degrees Celsius, the second number is where it's going to be. For instance, when it is fully warm, 100 degrees Celsius, 212 degrees Fahrenheit, that all will be 20-weight. They both will be 20-weight. Both weight. will be 20-weight. So you're going to have the identical all when the engine is hot. Right. So... There is no difference. We hear people in South Louisiana, and they'll make the statement, well, that's too thin down here because it's hot. Well, number one, the ambient temperature is totally irrelevant because the difference in 100 degrees ambient temperature and 50 degrees ambient temperature is absolutely nothing because they're all 275 degrees in the crankcase. So that little difference is virtually nothing at all. More to the point, they are both the same all at temperature. It's just that they have viscosity improvers that they put in the all that allows it to respond over a wider range. What makes all get thick, one of the things that makes all get thick, is paraffin that's left in the all when it's refined. Mm-hmm. The paraffin gets thick as it gets colder, so that's why old oil used to get really, really thick right. when, it, uh, when it was cold. Modern oils, they strip far more of the paraffins out of it, and they add what they call viscosity improvers that keep it the same over a much wider range. Well, they have to with the, the way the engines are designed nowadays. You've got overhead cams. That's right. Where you had overhead valves back in the past. Well, correct. You've got big long timing chains. Oh yeah, you got timing chains. Some of them are two feet long. Well, one direction. Yeah, if you cut the chain and stretch it oh, out, it might be, be twelve feet, feet long. Right. You know, and some of them have multiple chains in them. There is got, there's a variable cam timing. They're tensioners because of the much longer chain, which are all yeah. hydraulically oil driven. Right. Variable cam timing, which has a number of solenoids that have to be lubricated, gears, cogs, mechanisms for all that. Even displacement on demand and your VTEC systems and all of that run off of engine oil. So the engine oil does a tremendous amount more than just lubricate the engine. And that's why the requirements now are so much more critical. For instance, if you put a thicker oil in the engine, it cannot get up to that top end and start as, doing the things it needs to do nearly as fast as the oil that was designed for the car. Correct. Not only that, but oil has a tendency when it's thick called volatility. For instance, the crankshaft is spinning through the oil, not through the oil directly, but it's spinning just above it. Mm-hmm. So we have a big mass of iron spinning around at, say, 3,000 RPM. That is picking up a certain amount of oil out of the crankcase. It's called windage. Slinging it it against the cylinder walls, creating a vapor. That vapor is drawn out by the PCV system. 
Now, what happens when you put the thicker oil is you drastically increase that process. You're slinging a lot more oil around because it's thicker. Now, when all that oil gets sucked out the PC system, it goes through the exhaust. Where does it end up? In the converter. Catalytic converter. Now, oil, even as a vapor, even as a fume, is still a fuel. Correct. We've got so a it, catalytic converter that's running between 900 and 1,200 degrees. And you throw a bunch of oil into we it. We throw a bunch of hydrocarbon fuel in it, and what's going to happen now is it's going to melt. It's just going to get so hot, it will turn purple, and it melts. So we put the wrong oil in the engine now, we end up taking out a catalytic converter. And most people don't associate one with the other. No, they just they know just the converter, converter went bad. Exactly. They don't know why or any of those things. So when the engineer specs out a certain oil, that's what that's he means. That's what he needs. That's right. <laughs> that's not a suggestion. That's right. <laughs> hey, we're going to be back with a lot more in just a minute. I'm here with John, an actual Agco automotive customer. I've been taking all of my cars to Lewis for a long time. I go in regularly for all changes, and if they notice anything else wrong, they let me know. It's just like going in for a checkup at the doctor. So you're saying the mechanics at Agco are like physicians? Car doctors. They don't ever miss a diagnosis. And I have three cars with over 100,000 miles on them. Agco suggests bringing in your vehicle once a year for a general inspection. They'll check it out and even let you know if it's best to invest in repairs or possibly look for another vehicle. Yep, regular maintenance with Agco keeps my cars running fine. And regular checkups at the doctor keeps this old 80-year-old in good shape, too. You're 80? John, I hope I look that good when I'm your age. Well, son, I think it's kind of late for that. Oh, I see your wit's pretty sharp, too. So, schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive, our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Hey, between two of us, we're trying to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go and give us a call, 291-6901. Today, we're talking about lubrication and how lubrication systems work on engines, but we'll take a call on any topic you might have. Yeah, we will. One final point that I wanted to make before we get out today, and that is the use of synthetic oil as opposed to conventional oil. Right. And it used to be in the past that, person might say, well, I drive a little harder than the average guy, so, so I'm going to use option. synthetic because I think I want, I want something a little better, or maybe i just the kind of guy I like the latest, greatest stuff, uh-huh. so I'm going to use synthetic all. Today, that is no longer an option on That's most right. parts. Most, well, I'm not going to say most, but a lot of the newer cars require synthetic all. Yes, that is do. not an option. That is a requirement. And they may or may not say they require synthetic oil, but what they do say is we require oil that meets this, this specification, this standard. And the only oil that could meet that would be a synthetic Correct. product. So it's sort of like a General Motors product from 2011 up. What they say is you have to have an oil that meets the Dexos standard. Which is GM's standard oil. That's their own standard. And virtually it's going to have to be a synthetic blend to meet Dexos. And not all synthetic blends are going to meet Dexos. That's right. So what they want you to do is find an oil that's got the little Dexos logo on the bottle, which the companies that manufacture that oil and want that little logo on that bottle have to pay a a kickback to to GM. GM. So some of them don't want to do it, and I can understand that. 
But if you want to preserve your warranty, you want to be very careful that you are getting the right oil in the engine. Correct. And that you have documentation that you put the right oil in the engine. And, you know, speaking of that, a lot of these quick change oil places, you have to make sure you are getting the correct oil put in your vehicle. Well, that's right. If you're going in and just buying the cheapest oil change you can find, they may be putting standard oil in there. Very well be. You end up turning a rod bearing, burning up a camshaft. You go in for that 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and they say okay let's see your receipts when you got your oil changed right sir i'm sorry you got the wrong oil in it or you didn't change it often enough or whatever the you can change your own oil that's fine but you better have written down when it was changed the mileage the time the type i would keep the receipt from the oil and receipt from the filter if it were me staple it all together staple it together and keep it in a folder because you might say, well, I don't feel like doing it. Well, that's great. You don't have to. But if, if it comes happens, down to it, the burden of proof is going to fall on you that you sure. did maintain this up to standard. They don't have to prove that you didn't. You're going to have to prove that you did. Correct. And that's just a fine print in the warranty. And if you put the wrong all or substandard all in there, you stretch the timing chain and end up taking the engine out. Well, yeah, it's, it's yours. That's right. That's going to be yours to deal with. And one of the reasons they specify synthetic oil on the newer engines is because of these big timing chains and stuff with and the, the tensions and all that the variable valve timing when uh, you had anything a, when you had a timing belt it was sort of an aggravation because the belt had to be replaced at one point however that belt was not lubricated right so it really didn't care it was very very forgiving as far as all change intervals went well it had nothing to do with the oil change nothing I mean, to do with the oil it just drove oil, it right it ran it drove dry. the crank in the camp and Nowadays, with this big, long chain in there, that chain has to be lubricated. It's an extremely high-load part, and if it's not properly lubricated, and the key word is proper, because I don't care if you're buying a name brand or not. For instance, a lot of people say, well, I use blah, blah brand. Uh-huh. Oh, that's a good brand. Well, right. yes, it's a good brand, but that is not the oil that's designed for, for this, this application. Engine. Yeah, they may make, I know ExxonMobil makes all sorts of different sure. oils and all sorts of different products. So does Castrol, so does... But they're not all compatible with each application. Each other or with the application. You have to have the right oil for the application, one that meets the standard. I know Ford requires a synthetic blend uh-huh. in most of their 5.4s, and the last bulletin I saw, they had bumped that up to a full, full synthetic is what they want in them now because they are having so much trouble with timing chain failures on those engines. Right. See that like we were speaking before, that is a big long timing chain. It has to be lubricated, like you said, but it also has to keep tension, the correct amount of tension on it. Mm-hmm. And if you have the wrong oil viscosity in it, then the tensioners do not work like they're well, supposed to. Well, and even the proper viscosity, but the wrong oil type. You know, the, I'm not, what word am I <laughs> stumbling around here for? you got to have certain specifications that all has to meet. It has to have certain chemicals in it because Correct. all is not one thing. It is a cocktail of dozens and dozens of things. There are dispersants in it. There are anti-wear agents in it. There are anti-foam agents in it, just to name a few. Detergents, all these different things. There are also things that prevent what they call high-temperature shear. There's just all these different factors that go into motor oil, which is all based on the requirements of that engine. Correct. Now, I know your 327 Chevrolet, you could dump 30-weight oil in there and run the snot out of it. Man, you I, I 20 50 W50 50 or yeah. whatever you want to put, and yeah. that's it great. fine. Except that engine's not around anymore. No. Hadn't been for many, many, many years. It was an extremely simple engine, not a whole lot to go wrong. Well, basically all the oil did was lubricate. It pretty much lubed the The bearings bearings and stuff, and that's all it really did. did. A modern engine, that has totally, totally changed, and 
changing, putting any kind of oil in there other than what is specified is just an invitation to disaster. Oh, most definitely. Not only that, but one oil for the life of the engine. All this high mileage stuff and all, you don't right. need any of that. One oil, same oil for the same life brand. of the engine. Correct. Same brand. Hey, we're going to get on out of here. I want to tell everybody right. how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends and get some more people listening. There you go. And if they have a place for a written review, we really appreciate that because that moves us up in the rankings where when someone types in all repair, our name comes up close to the list so more people will listen. Hey, pre was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.